Welcome to this episode of Lifestyle Matters. I'm Sabina Nithyanandan, and once again, I'm joined by Amanda Smith from sunny Queensland. Welcome, Amanda. How are you? Hi, Sabina. I'm well, thanks. It's nice to be back. <laughs> Great. Um, so today I thought we might talk a little bit more, explore a bit more about um, how food affects our mood. I guess that's your area of expertise. That's the program you've developed, which is a 12-week program. Um, and I thought it'd be great to just pick your brain a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so I guess this is still a really evolving area. We don't actually know all the mechanisms yet by which food does affect our mood. Um, but there's certainly lots of different mechanisms that we are exploring. So guess um, one of the ones that we've one of the mechanisms that we've understood for a while now is the gut brain axis which is this bi-directional axis between our gut and our brain via the vagus nerve and lots of really important messages travel up and down the vagus nerve each day and the information that's traveling on this highway is gained from the food that we're eating so when we are eating that diet that we know is beneficial for our mental health, that's really high in fiber and our omega-3s, polyphenols, antioxidants, then our body's receiving this information um, and it has a positive impact on our mood. Um, and conversely, when we're eating these um, highly inflammatory foods, such as um, you know our junk and processed foods, then we're getting this um, a different type of information and it's having um, a negative impact. Yeah. So what you're referring to is also the area of research um, amongst lots of the gastroenterologists that specialize in IBS. Um, IBS is so, you know, we're understanding a more about it these days compared to maybe five or 10 years ago. Um, they talk about the HB axis, they talk about the gut microbiome um, and the impact of food on all these things and uh, mental health on IBS also. So it all kind of links up together. Um, and it, the main reason is basically based on what you've just described. Absolutely. And we know that um, there's really strong links between um, depression and people with IBS symptoms. And there's um, some really exciting research going into that now. Um, so one of the treatments that has been around for people with IBS is the low FODMAP diet. Mm -hmm. And of course, the low FODMAP diet um, gives really positive results for these people who are struggling with those symptoms that really negatively impact their day-to-day -day life. Um, but unfortunately, the foods that we restrict in the low FODMAP diet are also the foods that are really important for our gut bacteria and actually improve our mental health. So when we are recommending a low FODMAP diet to people with IBS, it's really important that it is just that short-term intervention to give relief of symptoms, to give the gut a rest, and then we're really trying to build up gut health by reintroducing these foods slowly. Um, and a dietitian can really help with that. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. Like, you know, when you talk, when you sometimes advise patients about the low FODMAP diet, you talk about how restrictive the diet is and that usually just turns people away. But when you actually tell them it's actually a short-term diet to follow and then you're slowly reintroducing things back, 
it becomes a bit more acceptable, but not many actually are aware of it. Um, and it's interesting that the other view that you had just now about how it is actually important for your gut microbiome and things, um, you know, to not have a low FODMAP diet all the time is actually another interesting viewpoint. Absolutely. And I guess the other thing that's really important to remember about our um, about our gut bacteria is that you know it has so many important functions within our gut. So we know that seventy percent of our immunity is controlled within our gut. We know that fifty percent of our dopamine and ninety percent of our serotonin is all produced in the gut. And when our gut bacteria are being fed that fuel, those fiber-rich foods, then they're able to produce those chemicals that are so important to our mood and mental health. Um, so it's really important that we are um, feeding them so that they can um, do all those processes um, that are key to our mood behavior and our immune system. Yeah. And, you know, before we move away from the gut I think what I'd like to also just highlight is that, you know, eating lots of your highly processed foods, um, foods high in sugar, um, you know, can sometimes cause constipation in some, diarrhea in others, and there's a reason for it. Um, and it's got to do with a variety of some of those reasons that we've just pointed out. Um, so, you know, when I've got someone coming and telling me, you know, well, I've just been on a whole sugar binge and now I'm having really bad constipation, there is actually a medical reason for it. Um, which we're still slowly understanding over over time, but it's um, it's interesting how important the gut is. You just don't realize how it is. It's sort of like your, your brain in a way, isn't it? Absolutely, and yeah. you know we're referring to it now as our second brain because it does have all these um, neurotransmitters and um, nerve pathways um, very very similar to our brain. Yeah, and you know our gut speaks to our brain ninety percent of the time, which is very unique um, compared to our other organs where, you know, our brain is telling our heart and our lungs what to do all the time. So, yeah. you know, it's really important that um, we remember food food is medicine and, um, and what we, the food that we eat every day is information to our body and our body will respond depending on, on what we feed it. And yeah. It's, um, I was just going to say it's also, um, I guess, a very positive thing to remember that our gut actually and our gut microbiota respond really quickly to changes in our diet. Um, so if we are able to change our food, then you know, within 24 to 48 hours, we're already seeing a difference in what those gut um, microbiota are able to produce in terms of their neurotransmitters that's really, really interesting, isn't it? So, I mean, we're talking about um, food intake and things. So as a dietitian, how what would you sort of suggest to someone who comes to see you um, with mental health um, issues? Um, and what, what would you sort of just sort of suggest to them? So I think firstly, it's really important for people to understand that that, that the, um, the science is strong. We now know that these diets higher in um, fiber-rich foods are consistently associated with an improved with improved mental health um, and that the, um, 
Royal and Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists actually recommend that lifestyle interventions like diet are the first thing that we do when we look at mental health. So as a dietitian, you know, it's really important that we understand people's lifestyle and where they're at. So I'm never going to ask someone to, you know, follow the Mediterranean diet perfectly um, if they're currently eating a diet full of, you know, takeaway and processed foods. But, you know, the smallest changes can make the biggest difference. So, you know, if someone can start having a bowl of wheat bix for breakfast instead of, you know, white toast um, with jam, um, then that's a really important step because suddenly we're introducing some of that fibre, um, which is food for our gut bugs. Um, similarly, if they're, you know, making white bread sandwiches, can we just swap that white bread to wholemeal bread? Um, because we know some of these things um, start to um, improve the um, the gut bacteria and what they're able to do. And I suppose it's also that little steps, isn't it? You start with one change and then your palate changes and then you would be more inclined to make other changes to your diet. Um, gosh, I can tell you, for example, um, when I was much younger in my teens, I used to have a cup of coffee with two and a half teaspoons of sugar. Now I have coffee without any sugar. It was a gradual decline over the time, but, you know, it happened. And here I am. I never thought I could drink coffee without sugar. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, that's a, that's a really um, important change to make too. And it's just understanding that, you know, your taste buds do adapt slowly and you will get yeah. used to that over time. Um, and when you start to feel better, when you do change, it's really good motivation to then be ready to make the next change as well. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I, I find, sorry, were you going to say? I was just going to say, I also think a really important one for parents to understand is that just increasing um, the serves of fruit and vegetables in their kids' diet by one serve, you know, makes a, mm. a, is of benefit. Um, so we don't have to go from, you know, only eating two serves a day to suddenly eating eight, because even if we can increase to three, um, then that's going to have incremental benefits for our, our gut bugs and our mental health. Yeah. So, I mean, what as a GP, I guess, in terms of what I would advise people would be essentially, you know, eating more of a Mediterranean based sort of diet. So eating more of your vegetables, your nuts, your legumes, um, you can have chicken, um, lesser red meat, um, just because there is some studies to show that it can reduce the risk of depression. Um, same thing with reducing, cutting down your carb intake. Um, the refined sugars can also reduce the risk of depression or symptoms from depression because you get the high and then you get that dip in the low and the sugars wear off. Um, and I find omega-3 is also another really important thing to help improve mental health. Um, so that's where the fish and the oily oils, the extra virgin olive oil and walnuts and almonds come into play. So that's sort of the, you know, my understanding of how food affects our mental health. Um, and it's a very broad brushstroke, I guess. But that's, I mean, I guess there's been enough research to sort of support that and I feel comfortable saying that. What are your thoughts on that, Amanda? Absolutely. I think it's fantastic advice. And um, I guess I would just add to that for your knowledge base too, that we now understand that BDNF, um, those proteins in our brain that actually help with brain plasticity um, come from um, bacteria 
So it's a, um, bac our bacteria are able to produce this BDNF when they are fed the right foods. So again, it's all those foods you just mentioned and they help that area of our brain, the hippocampus, which is really important for memory and learning and mood and mental health. It can actually help that area of our brain to grow. And the research has showed us that individuals with depression, um, with um, these high inflammatory diets actually have a smaller hippocampus. So if we can encourage the consumption of these foods, then we're also promoting those, or we're feeding those bacteria that are um, going to help in the production of that BDNF and increase that the size of our hippocampus, which is yeah. really important. Yeah, that's our emotional regulation. Um, and just for the interest of the audience, BDNF stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor, if you want to look it up. But, you know, um, I just thought I'd put that in there. Um, so in terms of, um, well, that's, that's actually a good point to make because I was going to lead up to carbs and mental health. Um, do you have any... Um, I think, unfortunately, you know, as dietitians, we hear all the time that carbohydrates are associated with weight gain um, and people try to avoid them, which isn't actually true. So carbohydrates actually have more research behind them than any other nutrient. And when we're consuming the high fiber, um, good quality carbohydrates, they are really beneficial for our mental health. And when we talk about the ModiMed diet, they actually form the foundation of that diet. So again, it's making sure that we choose a diverse range of high fiber um, whole grains, breads and cereals. So things like oats and bran and our brown, um, brown breads, brown rice, um, quinoa, buckwheat, um, frika. There's so many different varieties <laughs> of grains that we can eat these days. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And unfortunately, they're not things that we commonly use and people are a bit scared of them. Um, so I always say to people, you know, we eat it in the same way as we, or you cook it in the same way as you would cook rice. And, you know, if you can add that to a salad, it makes your salad so much more filling and exciting. Um, yeah. So we can even buy um, mixes now so tonight, for example, I cooked a um, salad for dinner where I had a mixture of um, frika, bulgur and lentils, and I just cooked that as I would rice. And then um, I mixed that with some peas, snow peas and green beans, um, added a lemon juice and olive oil dressing um, with some fresh herbs. Um, so that diversity, you know, I'm getting at least um, seven to eight different plant foods in that meal. Um, and then we just had that with a piece of salmon. So, you know, it's just um, knowing little ways to um, increase the variety of our diet because we know that is one of the most important things for feeding all the different bacteria that live in our gut and have all these different jobs. Amanda, your dinner sounds almost similar to mine, except it didn't have that many greens. Oh, well, it had burger and capsicum and carrots. Into Beautiful. It. Well done. And uh, a baked uh, cod. Oh, yum. Delicious. Yeah. Uh, with tomatoes and zucchini. So <laughs> quite similar Fantastic. by the sounds of it. Absolutely. We didn't make any plans, did we? No. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess moving on um, in terms of um, what are your thoughts on alcohol and caffeine? given that's part of diet? Um, so again, we know that both of these things um, or that alcohol is inflammatory yep. and um, um, 
following the alcohol guidelines is always important. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when it comes to mental health, we also know that red wine is a rich source of um, polyphenols, um, which help to reduce oxidative stress in our body um, and, um, and help reduce inflammation. And it's actually the same for caffeine. Caffeine is a rich source of these polyphenols, um, which have an antioxidant effect um, and help to reduce inflammation. So as dietitians, we recommend that people don't have more than 300 milligrams of coffee per day or caffeine per day, which would be equivalent to four teaspoons of coffee or um, two double shots of coffee. Um, and again, we also need to be careful that we're having caffeine before midday um, because we know that um, poor sleep is one of the biggest factors to affect our mental health as well. Um, and it's the same with alcohol as well. It's going to have a negative impact on our sleep um, if we're drinking in excess as well. So, you know, a small so glass of red wine um, would be our recommendation if you're already having it, not introducing it if, if you're not already If you're not a drinker, it, no one's asking anyone yeah, to be a drinker. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, There's plenty of other um, parts of our diet where we can get those antioxidants in. Yeah, yeah. So one point I suppose to make is alcohol, we know it is a depressant in the end, um, so it can lower your mood. It may make you feel better for a while, but then once it wears off, it can actually make you more depressed. And so it increases over long-term use, it actually increases the risk of depression and anxiety. The other thing that when you've got, when if you've got already a, a pre-existing mental health condition, alcohol is obviously very addictive. It's a substance um, and you, you might be at a higher risk of developing a substance use disorder um, because it might just make you feel better for the temporary and you might keep using it. Um, and as you just pointed out, um, sleep. Don't use it before you go to sleep. Lots of people drink um, before they go to sleep too, hopefully, because it gives a depressive sort of feeling. But in the second stage of your sleep, second half of your sleep, it actually causes insomnia. It makes you more awake. So it can cause that interrupted sleep. So yes, it may help you get to sleep, but it will not give you a good lasting sleep. Absolutely. Um, and it's the same with caffeine too. You know, often people will say to me, I can have a coffee at three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon and still fall asleep with no problem. Um, and, and that might be true, but the problem is that the quality of your sleep is, um, mm. is affected, um, which has um, um, ongoing implications for the next day. Yeah. And we've also got to be mindful, especially if you're prescribed medications, these substances can also interact with medications and make them less effective or make them, you know, make it, make them less effective. I guess it's usually the most common side effect of it. So Absolutely. it's just another thing to think about. Um, and hydration, I think fluids, water. Absolutely. Do you have any tips to weigh in on that one? <laughs> um, and water is really important too because often we think we're hungry and we're overeating when we're actually thirsty. So um, hydrating with water um, above everything else. Um, you know, even even our fruit juices are a, a big sugar load to have on our body. Um, so avoiding fruit juices unless they're freshly made yourself and include the fiber from the whole piece of fruit is best um, and otherwise limiting it to 125 mils or half a cup um, but ideally water all the way. 
Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the thing with water is also is it is what to make it is what's needed to make the hormones, the chemicals, the neurotransmitters, um, you know, your serotonin, your noradrenaline, all these hormones that are important in, you know, your mental health. Um, so obviously if you're dehydrated, you don't have enough to produce enough and you know, signals are not transmitted appropriately and that can also increase risks of uh, mental health. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, um, it's it's interesting. All these little things that we don't think about. You know, how often are we at work and we forget to? I mean, I've got this bottle that I feel I make sure I fill up a few times. But before before being so mindful about water intake, you know, you could just go to work and forget about it, and then at the end you're like, oh, I haven't drunk water all day. I've been just drinking coffee or tea. <laughs> exactly <laughs> doing all the wrong things exactly um and again yeah. it's a really um might be um a, a great area for people to start to you know it's um something that's quite simple to implement and you know once you're feeling better it has that ripple effect and then we're able to make the next change so i think it's a great tip yeah well amanda we're com- coming up to wrapping time is there anything else you'd like to just add um that you think might be important for our audience to be aware of about how food affects our mental health? Um, I think just remembering that even though the mechanisms around how food affects our mood is very complex, what we actually need to do is very easy. So I shouldn't say easy, but is um, very simple in terms of we need to eat more fruit and veggies, more whole grains, more lentils, legumes, nuts and seeds. And we, we should love food and, um, and um, I guess, think of it in a positive way and look for ways to enjoy food with family and friends. And that's going to have a really important impact on our, on our mood and mental health. Yeah, I think you made a good point there enjoying with your friends and family because you know what it's going to be a hard change to make just by yourself but if you have that social network which does similar things so if everyone does similar things it's easier to do um i think also practicing mindfulness eating is also really important so being aware of what you're eating and what you're putting in when you're making your food um so like you know just being sure that you're putting your your fruits your veggies sort of putting that into your salads for example you know some um, you know, I guess you could put some pomegranate into your salad, for example, and getting your fruit in that regards. Um, and I guess the last point, I guess, is also to understand that it's not easy to make a change. And I can vouch for that. And it's just, it takes baby steps, but it just happens over time once you get used to it. And if, you know, one day you're not so successful, one day you've had a less than perfect, less than a good diet, that's fine. Carry on, pick yourself up and move on to the next day. And it just practice it makes it a lot easier. And I think that's the other thing I'd like to point out. I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a, a great um, tip to, for people to remember that no one's perfect all of the time and yeah. you don't have to be, but it's just concentrating on what your normal everyday routine is and trying, as you said, those baby steps to introduce yeah. those foods that we know are going to be beneficial for our mental health. Perfect. Great. Thanks so much for joining us today, Amanda. Um, I look forward to chatting with you next time about mood food. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having <laughs> me, Savina. That's all for today's episode of Lifestyle Matters. Thanks for watching.